1: So today, I thought it would be interesting if we talked about a really special person. Her name was Elizabeth Byrd, and she was born about 110 years ago in New York City. And why is she so special and why should we care about her? Well, Elizabeth Byrd was most likely New York City's first female sommelier. Elizabeth Byrd was born around 1900 or 1907. We don't really know her age because when she was interviewed by a New York Times reporter in 1943, she said, Put it down as 35, (laughs) which leads me to believe that she might have been a little bit older, but you never know. When I first heard about Elizabeth Byrd, I was so um, just fascinated by this woman because all the quotes that uh, the New York Times article from 1943 quotes from her, she just seems like she has so much personality. She describes uh, pairing wines with food. She says, well, serving a big red wine with fish is like a man wearing an overcoat in July. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> she just seems like she would have been a really fun person to know, and I, and I wish I could have met her. So Elizabeth Byrd became a waitress sometime around 1921. By the time that she became a sommelier in New York City, she had been working in the industry for about 22 years. Uh, before she came to New York, she spent some time in Bermuda, working in restaurants there. While she was there, she started reading books about wine and asked to become a sommelier at this Bermuda restaurant, and I thought to myself, why would she have been in Bermuda in the earlier part of the of the last century. And it's most likely because it was probably during Prohibition. So she spent some time there um, in the wake of Prohibition when she couldn't really work in the restaurant industry in the United States, selling, uh, selling wine and beverages. So she's in Bermuda. Around this time, she meets a man named um, Mr. Bird. We don't know his first name, and we actually don't know Elizabeth's maiden name either. She's kind of a mystery woman. But she meets Mr. Bird, and they get married in 1927. Right around April 12th, 1943, it's within a day of this time, uh, Elizabeth has been working at the Algonquin Hotel. And the Algonquin Hotel is a really special place um, in New York. It's very interesting. It's right—it still exists today, actually. um, And it's on 44th Street between 5th and 6th Avenue. So the next time you're walking around Midtown and you're near uh, Grand Central, Go take a walk on 44th Street and you'll see this Algonquin Hotel. You can still walk in, check out the lobby, um, check out their their dining room. It's pretty pretty interesting. And this special place is is where Elizabeth Byrd, 70 years ago, asked to be a sommelier. She asked the maitre d' of the hotel. Let me tell you a little bit about the Algonquin Hotel, first of all, because it's, it's an amazing place uh, for Manhattan history. When you enter the lobby, they have cats in there. They just wander around and there's palms and ferns and they play 1940s music in the background so you kind of feel like you're brought back in time to when Elizabeth had worked there. The Algonquins famous for the Round Table Club of Writers. There was a club of writers led by Dorothy Parker. They would meet there every day for lunch and just talk about writing and it was a a really famous thing and the Round Table lasted for about 10 to 15 years where writers would meet there pretty much daily and and talk about what they were working on. And uh, the Algonquin Hotel has been a really special place for women in general. So not only were they the first restaurant establishment to hire a female sommelier in New York, they were also the first hotel in Manhattan to welcome female guests traveling alone without a male chaperone, which was a big deal back in the 1920s. Things have changed, (laughs) things have changed since then. Right around the time when Elizabeth was working, the New York dining scene was completely different than it is today. A la carte dining had just started to come to the US. In fact, a la carte dining as we know it, where you go to a restaurant and you pick items off a menu, that's a relatively new concept. In fact, that started in the 1700s, right around the French Revolution, And there were two chefs in Paris who came up with this concept of a la carte dining. The word restaurant comes from the word, uh, the French word restaurer. It means to restore. And so during the time of the revolution, people, I mean, I can't even imagine living in France during the time of the revolution. Just, it must have been an insane time that was taxing on your, on your emotions and your soul and everything. So you'd go to a, a restaurant to literally restore your soul, to, to have some food, and the idea to have some choices in there of what you could have started around this time. Before that, you'd go to a, a hotel or a restaurant and you just order what whatever they were making that day. You actually didn't order, they just brought it to you. So if they were making, you know, chicken stew, that's what you had, chicken stew. If they were serving oysters, that's what you had, oysters. Um, there were no choices. And it, brought, it got brought over to New York um, in the early uh, late 1800s, early 1900s. And the, uh, the first people to really do this were, was the original Delmonico's. It was French-owned, and they, they brought over some a la carte uh, menus like they were used to at home. And the idea just kicked off, and soon you had a la carte menus all over New York City. And Frank Case, who was the owner of the Algonquin Hotel at the time, started doing a la carte dining at the Algonquin. And they started to build up a wine list and they hired a sommelier. Uh, His name was Francois. All these events lead up to the time when Elizabeth was there. And remember, this was uh, in the 1940s. It was right after the Great Depression. One time, uh, actually at the Algonquin Hotel, a man had just lost all his money. This was in 1929. He had just lost all his money on, on Wall Street. So he came to the Algonquin for dinner and ate his dinner had all the courses, had dessert, had coffee, pulled out a pistol, and just ended it right there in the dining room. The Great Depression, you know, really turbulent times, prohibition too, it must have been crazy for restaurants at that time. But after 14 years, things had settled out. Francois was the was the sommelier at the Algonquin, and he got sick, and they had to find another sommelier. Elizabeth heard about this because she was a waitress there at the time. And Elizabeth goes up to the maitre d' and says, you know, I've been a sommelier in Bermuda in the past, and I really want to be a sommelier here at the Algonquin. After some thinking, the maitre d' decided to give her a chance, and she got the job. Uh, the New York Times heard wind of this, and they, did it. they published an article in 1943, and if you remember, you can, um, you can search online and find this article. But anyway, Elizabeth took the job, did a great job, and when they checked in later, the maitre d' said, you know, I don't even know why I was hesitant about her in the first place, because she's she's doing a great job. So Elizabeth Byrd, New York City's first female sommelier, she really set the stage for now when you find, it seems to me like the sommelier scene in New York City is almost 50-50 male-female, and there's, it's not even a real issue to be a, a girl sommelier anymore. But thank you to Elizabeth Byrd.
0: It's not enough to make great wine. You also have to reach the consumer that appreciates that wine. And that's where Offset is an incredible asset. Offset is an independent brand design and commerce technology company that connects with wineries on a human level to help them connect with consumers on a human level. Offset is based in wine country and staffed by creative strategists and technologists who are superb at helping create and evolve wine brands through visual identity and package design, developing the look, feel, and tone of your web content, as well as building beautiful and effective websites powered by their proprietary e-commerce platform, Offset Commerce. That's why leaders like Frog Sleep, Grace Family Vineyards, and Rain Winery already rely on Offset. Reach out to the brilliant team at Offset, at offsetpartners.com. That's O-F-F-S-E-T. Partners with an S.com. Offset is focused on the wine industry and can embrace the nuanced needs of your wine brand. Matt DeVren on the show today of Winebow. Hello, sir. Hey, how are you? How you doing, big guy? Pretty good. You
2: got your first gig bartending, sixteen years old. Yeah, how'd that go down? (laughs) That was uh, uh, sixteen. It was my first job ever. Um, I actually didn't even drink yet, um, unlike most sixteen-year-olds in Ohio. But uh, it was at a little catering hall in Grand Rapids, and the bartender for a wedding called out, and the uh, crazed kind of chef owner of the catering business was like, "You're in, kid." Basically, (laughs) in so many words, and and, uh, I knew nothing about it. I was like, I, I can't do this. And was
0: he, it like in Maverick when he was like,
2: Cougar turned in his wings? It was exactly. He like was that. number one. You were number two. It's, it was exactly. Now you're number like that. one. Yeah. Yeah. We took the dead body and like threw it to the side and he was like, go, you're in. Um, but his one word of advice was put the booze in first. And so I've been sort of telling that story to people for the rest of my life. I'm like, yeah, I don't know why I should have known then that it was so simple. Like, oh, put the booze in first. And, uh, and I still didn't understand what he was saying. So, it started and people came up and like, hey, yeah, seven and seven. I'm like, seven and seven? These two things have seven on them. Right, right, right. This one is booze. <laughs> and that I, I actually perfectly bartended the entire night. You know, even people like giving me extra tips for like, oh, great job. Hey, you're doing
0: good. Yeah. <laughs> you could, probably because you put a little too much booze in Probably first. true. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I
2: had no idea what the cost was. Yeah.
0: If he looks upset, over poor, yeah, Totally. Totally. Well, I mean... uh, because that's actually my regular question to prospective bartenders: is what's in a Jack and Coke? Because I feel like <laughs> let's get the, if
2: let's, they don't get that you know, right, you know, that it's not going to work. Let's figure out where we stand. Right? You right. know what I
0: mean? It's true.
2: <laughs> you know. Also, you like the bust balls a little
0: bit. I feel so. That's well, weird. no, but it's <laughs> you know, yeah. If the, it's also a good way of saying like this is my style of humor, right? Are we going to get along? That's, you know what I mean? That's
2: I think it's uh, wise to prepare them that way.
0: You're saying it's that bad? Is no, that no, 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 no. I
2: <laughs> like just, the humor. <laughs> yes. I've been listening to your podcast a yeah, long yeah, time. i got and some listened. things to tell you. That knock-knock joke didn't really work out <laughs> right. in episode 12. <laughs> yeah. Specifically mentioning episodes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, going line by line. Right. I, I know I you got better some than notes you know me, buddy. <laughs> I've been studying.
0: So so before your bizarre obsession with Levy Dalton, you had
2: <laughs> like a... Normal person's <laughs> life, right? And you were studying <laughs> musical theater. Yes, that's true. It was, uh, uh, yeah. I I struggle with admitting to it, but yes, I was a musical theater major in college, and uh, that's pretty much the reason that brought me to New York. Like, I don't know, ninety percent of the restaurant industry. Um, and I was working some crappy temp job Isn't it after a great many
0: place to meet chicks. The musical theater class. Yes, I mean, however, has to
2: be, dude. I put. I think I'm a pretty sensitive guy. You will never be as sensitive as all of the other men in that, in that musical theater class. <laughs> so when it comes to like sitting and listening well, like I think I'm pretty good at. No way, unmatchable in that, as far as like being able to relate to them on that level. So yes, then by process of elimination, perhaps you will be able to date a few chicks, which is definitely... Uh, but uh, by a few, I mean literally only a few. Until I met my wife, <laughs> that was uh, that's the Ohio I way. I find that hard to believe. but You meet one in college, and then you meet one after college, and oh, then right. you meet your wife, and yeah, that was, that's that was the like, deal.
0: Yeah, I know what you mean by that. At least the way I was raised, I was a Southern Baptist, so I get that. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. So yes, my mom was super religious, so that was like
0: we it. went to Sunday school and recited verses and stuff, and.
2: You know, the, the you got guilt. props for that. You the got props guilt for really it. carries you a long way.
0: Yeah. No, it does. It yeah. does. It's true. I mean, we were Protestant, so it wasn't so heavy on the guilt. It was right. more like talking about how great we were. Yeah, 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 like, yeah. God loves me. God love you. Yes. You know what I mean? It's true. You can you do know. anything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because yeah. God loves you. You know, that kind of... Well, I don't right. want to offend too many people here, but I still, uh, you know, still right. have a, I still have a religious relationship with the man upstairs, so... Cool. I don't, I don't want to like... Yeah, yeah. I you gotcha. Know. But, uh, so you... So, you you don't get laid much in college. You decide maybe the bartender (laughs) gig would be a better entree
2: (laughs) to meeting women. Well, yeah. So, because of college and wanting, you know, being convinced that I'll definitely become famous if I just go to the city big enough, you move to New York. And in New York, you know, obviously, it's not, you're never ever going to land on Broadway the moment you step off the train. So, actually, in Ohio, to backtrack a little bit, I went to a bartending school. Probably because I had either recently rewatched Cocktail or something like that. Get some every time. Yeah, yeah. And there was this crazy, I don't even know if I saw it online or in a newspaper ad and it went and uh, some guy with like sort of a deformed hand was the teacher and he had, they had like a storefront that was built out with no booze in it, but booze bottles with colors. And that's how they taught you. Like, they oh, because they didn't, yeah. He was like, counting, it's yeah. never going to work, man. And I was like, oh yeah, that's true. You know, like he's like, think about it. You know, a bottle's heavier when it's more full and, and especially and lighter. when you put blue stuff in it. Right. And he's <laughs> like, So if you count so I do everything by sight. And like everything was just colored. Like if it looked the right color, he was like, Yep. That guy was awesome at Poo's Cafe, dude. Oh, totally. That was a whole <laughs> section that nobody even talks about anymore. Poo's Cafe was like <laughs> it was like a <laughs> that whole was like thing. a week. Of this is how you layer it. And I'm yeah. like uh, Back was, of the Spoon, back of the spoon. Totally. Totally. Um so, you know, learned all that stuff that I had to unlearn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And got a little card that I think I still have somewhere. <laughs> and I literally took it. I mean, that's how naive I was. You know, it was October 2001. And I was going around Times Square like, I could bartend here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Who the heck are you, kid? Get <laughs> right. out of here.
0: Yeah. Um, Partial city destruction. No, right. No restaurant business. You're a little late yeah, in the game. For...
2: Exactly. So, I uh, ended up taking... Uh, some sort of temp gig with, uh, obviously, another room full of actors. And some guy was like, well, you know, restaurants probably make more sense for you. And I'm like, really? And he's like, yeah, you just seem he like. He told
0: you that after the performance?
2: <laughs> like, <laughs> like, what is is that, a- no, no, dude. no. This is a temp drive in an office.
0: That is some serious, harsh <laughs> criticism, man. You're like, I think I just killed my part in <laughs> Annie. Yes. the dude's like, let's have a talk about restaurants. Restaurants. <laughs> <today." laughs> like, a-
2: that may have been true someone probably did think that at some point in my life however that was not this guy's
0: the the director interrupts you like mid mid monologue to be like put the booze in first in your future career my friend
2: we're making the stage version of cocktail that's right
0: i think you're the guy dude cocktail such a depressing film totally totally. i mean when you watch it and the, the the, break, the tried breakup of the relationship with the girl yeah. and yeah. the older lady who just wants him because he's a young dude oh, and the international part. art thing and the weird relationship he has with the guy from FX with the Louis Trey bottle.
2: It's crazy. It's actually, there should be no reason why anyone would want to emulate any part of that movie. <laughs> and yet... So many people did. I start to cry when I watch it. I'm like, I I can't tell if I'm
0: sorry for my lost time or like life. You know what I mean? It's true.
2: This is a depressing film. I should have probably uh, rewatched it before I decided to move my entire life to the city. But I didn't. (laughs) yeah and here we are yeah exactly still
0: got that card um (laughs) no i'm just kidding you because it's worked out great for you absolutely much better than for tom cruise i'd say actually at this point (laughs) (laughs) you know what i mean i think i'm saying you know
2: yeah i mean he's made a couple more dollars but yeah otherwise where's the happiness i'm much happier yeah clearly more happy uh so yeah that led to me buying a zagat guy not knowing what it was and literally was like oh number one union square cafe i'm gonna go talk to them shockingly they took an interview and uh signed me obviously they could see right through my resume that like you don't know anything (laughs) (laughs) i'm like yeah but i have this card but they advertise for wanting that they say
0: that we just want enthusiasm we don't want experience that's what they always say when you talk to them
2: yes uh i didn't know that i was that naive so i walked in there across from paul bulls bevan and he was you know he was cool guy, sweetest guy on earth total nice guy talk Um, about good listener for real. Yeah. Yeah. Uh I admire him for that and always will. Um He just retired, I think. Yeah. Well, semi-retired maybe. I don't oh, okay, okay. retired from that company at least. I don't talk I to him all the time or anything. <laughs> You're not Facebook. He brand. is a good listener,
0: but I don't like
2: yeah. mm-hmm. He's the one listening, He's not talking. So <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh so he was I think he was actually on his way out of being the GM of Union Square at the time. Okay. Um but Karen King was a beverage director there. Yeah. Um so I became a back waiter because I don't know, to this day, I still think it was one of the best jobs I've ever had. Yeah. Like they have, you work like six hour shifts, but you get a pretty nice cut of the tip pool. Yeah. And you're essentially a barista or a busboy on any given shift. And you don't really have to talk to people or make decisions. Exactly. So, yeah. I, you know, you just kind of hustle for right. six hours right. at a time, um, maybe five, six shifts a week and make a okay make a living. Fair amount of money. Yeah. And, you know, Danny Meyer's thing, you get health insurance and stuff. So I did that for like five years in between acting jobs. And then uh, eventually moved up to waiter, moved up to bartender, and oh, I made it, you know. I became a bartender in a New York City well-known establishment. And, you know, speaking about the back waiter, as far as bartending gigs go, I don't know why I ever left in many ways. Because that is like, there's guys that were there before I got there that'll be there for years to come, you know. Uh, this guy, MTS, Michael Smith, he's been there, I think he helped, like, train Karen King how to bartend. Really? Like, that's how wow. long ago he's been, and he's wow. still there. And he, like, you know, knows famous people and things from just being a bartender there. Um, So, that was amazing. I think the bar staff, when I started there, was, had like, average time in that restaurant was 15 years. I mean, insane amount of time. Because I think Paul Balbus
0: Bevan used to be a bartender there. Yeah, yeah. He that's started. Goes, I think right. he
2: started waiting tables, and him and Karen were some of the first people to, like, bartend together, and so wine was actually the first angle that I took into the business. That was, you know, through Karen, you know, I really started getting more interested in, in just, you know, developing the vocabulary for wine. Um, and she's such an incredible listener and, and uh, teacher. Um, so that's where I really started to get into it. And one of the senior waiters after I'd become a bartender was like, you really like this wine thing, don't you? And I said, yeah. He goes, I got friends of mine that opened this tiny shop out in Brooklyn maybe you should talk to him so um i did he, i think he called me in the middle of family meal actually one day <laughs> like we had a pay phone this is how long ago it was we had a pay phone that if you wanted a shift covered last minute you called the pay phone and all the waiters knew to answer it so that the managers didn't know that you're trying to get it covered on a that's pinch. awesome dude <laughs> so that you would call the pay phone so it's I, too bad we moved to cellular until it screwed I, that definitely exactly well that, that's what's funny is i guess it was that long ago that we weren't Everybody didn't have cells. You didn't text someone. You called the payphone. So Warren called the payphone and somebody's like, Yeah, Maddie, it's uh, Warren. And he's like, Hey, Maddie, what's going on? Oh, yeah, I forgot you're in the middle of Family Mail. Anyway, you should probably go talk about this new job. <laughs> 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 I'm like, Okay. And uh, met, uh, went out to Brooklyn and the place was a store, Smith and Bine. Um, so Patrick Watson and Michelle Proud are the owners there. And at the time, it was a tiny one room little thing. Um, right next to a video store. I mean, it seemed perfectly charming. I had never been to Carol Gardens before. I like Carol Gardens. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I mean, I
0: can't afford Carol Gardens, but <laughs> yeah, I like right. Carol Gardens. Who can anymore? You know? <laughs> not <don't> humans. Know. <laughs> yeah, somebody else. Movie stars. Previous like generations. I don't know.
2: So, yeah. So, the interview was not even an interview. It was literally like, yeah, here's a spot. You know, show <laughs> you the basement. This is a recurring theme, bro. It's I know. like it's some true. dude that you barely know. It's true. Randomly
0: tells you to go do something. You do it, and yeah. then they don't really give you an interview. They right. just
2: give you like a jigger or something. It's true. It seems to be the way for me. I I never thought of myself as that sort of uh, charmed, but I guess that's the, <laughs> that seems to be the case. <laughs> I tripped and fell, and uh, <laughs> some guy picked me up. And and it was, was Carol like, Garden, <laughs> right? I'm going to make you famous. <laughs> yeah.
0: And it was Tom Cruise, and he's like, "Here's how
2: I did it, <laughs> right?" And he's like, "I actually never bartended in my life. I have no right. idea. What right. did actually, it. I could tell that from the film." <laughs> yeah. Um, so I learned. Then I always tell people now that if they're trying to learn about wine, get a job at a wine store because is that true? I think I mean, if they haven't already gone to school and are you know really trying to become a sommelier, if they literally just are curious about it and are thinking they want to try, because. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm the difference between a wine store and a restaurant is you know reps come you're open during the day so <laughs> reps can just pop in and you can't really do much to say i'm not available because you are you're standing right there right um some places you know obviously are more rude than others and they'll just be like get out yeah i'm sure i said that to somebody at one point but um we didn't we often tasted everything yeah. <laughs> and so people are like hey i got six wines on me today okay great i'll taste all of those um Little did I know later, that's pretty rude because, <laughs> you know, I don't think we bought from everyone. Right, you know, right, We right, bought right. from the people we yeah. really liked, but... <laughs> oh, you have the Moffertino open? Awesome. <laughs> yeah, but like if you're stupid enough to walk in and say, yeah, you want to taste it, you know? Right, right. Um, So, we always said, yeah, we'll always taste. So, I mean, you taste, I don't know, six wines on average, I guess, with six different people a day, 36 right. wines a day through, you know, how many weeks and months and it adds up. So, I really got to know people that way. Uh, or got to know wines and then also people. Because um, he knew all the players coming in. Well, we were, uh, Patrick, I guess, was lucky to have connections um, or maybe lucky is not the right word, but he was the guy uh, at Raoul's for a while and so he brought all these Manhattan reps that were known for selling to really great restaurants and they came to Brooklyn um, and it ended up being, I think, worth it for them too. Um, eventually, Smith & mine grew to a, a larger space and a much more profitable business. Um, and, uh, you know, reps like Blake Johnson, I think has been on here. And, and Phil Saray was our first Weinbow rep. And, oh, okay. Um, okay. like just Dan Lerner, you know, really stalwarts in the industry that I took advantage of the fact that, you know, I didn't know or took for granted, I should say. You know, I didn't know that these guys were so important. Um, but found out later, you know, when you start talking. about What's
0: interesting about all those guys is they don't know how important they are. That's the interesting part about them. That's, I think that's a great point. It's yeah. really they don't really carry him them themselves like, dude, you know who you're talking to right
2: now? You know what I mean? You're absolutely right. Yeah. And then Blake so casually will just like throw out information that you're like, oh my God, nobody knows that stuff. Yeah. You only no, know because true. you were there. You, because you were there. And you've done it. For and many years. And you've over. tasted those yeah. vintages and have opinions. But he would never tell you. Right. He, he was actually probably one of our favorites. He never, we did a thing where we always blind tasted with him. And we carried a lot of the same wines for years and years because of price point and things. Um. And it was always a blind, t- and it was always funny. Like, oh, wait, is this a back vintage of you know the, the gross Jean, you know Gamay or something? And you really start to break it down. That and Patrick and Michelle were extremely uh, focused on education. So they, he, you know, he would just if he was there, basically old Burgundy, whatever. It's all fair game. He would open it and usually blind taste, and you talk about it and. So, I never developed a schooling for wine, but like wine was really my in. Um, When they moved to the larger space, uh, me and another guy that uh, I worked with at Union Square were their managers and uh, he and I sort of helped build their spirits list. He more than me, uh, Ari Form is his name. Um, And he, we like, Patrick loved scotch, loved Calvados, loved all these like really fine dining kind of things. And he's like, I want that in the store. So, we did that and again you get to taste so many different things and really learn on the job so um in my three years there as far as education about products spirits and wines that was like light years of time it seemed like they passed as far as knowledge goes um and eventually patrick michelle developed a lot of trust in us and uh, evolved into opening up the wine bar just a couple of doors down called the jake walk um And they had connections to spirits, people that I think just from their geographical location, like Dave Wondrich lives in that neighborhood. Garrett Oliver lives in that neighborhood. Um, Later on, I would find out at the Jake Walk that Phil Ward and Joaquin Simo and all these really great cocktail guys all lived in that neighborhood. So just by osmosis, we sort of were like, well, we should probably do cocktails. Um, Clover Club wasn't open yet, but like we had been to Pegu Club and those guys were working there at the time. Uh, Death & Co., either just opened or was just about to open. So, uh, you know, we were talking to a lot of those bartenders and they were coming into the jayquok. And so we learned about cocktails on the fly, essentially. I mean, we read books, obviously. Wandrich told us like, you know, you should read this, this, and this, and this'll, that'll teach you how to have, you know, a reasonable cocktail menu. And uh, then it got but more of a reputation as a cocktail Wondrich,
0: bar. So it probably wasn't this, this, and this. So it was probably this, this, and this, and then these <laughs> other 50.
2: You know, I will say that he's very like Blake Johnson in that. Oh, is that true? He doesn't yeah, carry it that. yeah. he that doesn't that dish it out. He's like, yeah, man, if you want to shake Manhattan, hand, I don't care. If that's what your bar does. Do what you want to do. He just happens to know that like, but if you were interested historically, you know, in 1896, the so first time, you know, whatever, you know, um, so he was he was great. He was not a consultant, but a friend more than anything. Um, so we would run ideas by him and he would like, yeah, yeah, yeah do that. Eh, I don't know if that's a good idea. Um, so we developed a, a menu and then became, the, the cocktail thing was hot then, so it while we still seems hot right yeah i'm sorry it was developing it's hotness are we in the fire (laughs) yeah totally that's true we it was cooking i guess i mean it's hot in here right now (laughs) right you're sweating (laughs) i'm always sweating (laughs) that's that's a separate issue (laughs) um so that you know it became known as more of a cocktail bar i guess than it did like a wine bar when we opened we had like Twenty-five wines by the glass, or something like that. And see, I never knew that. Yeah, later, I always heard about it for cocktails. Yeah, later we pared it down, but um, we sort of just took the ideas and all the products we knew from the wine store, which was much bigger, <laughs> and jammed them all into this forty-seat, including the bar, cocktail bar, and uh, and at the time they had opened Stinky Brooklyn, so it was going to be cheese and food and beverage emporium. You know, like all things booze. You know, we had. Not a bad list of uh, of beers as well. So, yeah, learning on the job there, and then also <laughs> learning how to run a business was. I, I feel like my food and wine knowledge develops really well at Smith and Vine. But then Jake Walk was like, I think I was there for th- three years. That was like a business degree. Like I feel like I have the equivalent of like a business degree. So
0: what'd you learn in that time? I mean, for somebody who's like, yeah, I want to start up a cocktail bar. And What would you tell these people?
2: Mm, that's a good one. Uh, think uh, business is a money making machine, and we went into it. Not thinking that, you know, we went into it thinking it was a really romantic idea to be able to say, I own a bar in Brooklyn, Mm -hmm. you know? So everybody, you know, I would go to see friends out of town and things like that. And when you say that, it does have a cachet. It was really like rewarding to be able to say that and uh, sort of identify yourself that way. But I I
0: owned a bankrupt bar in Brooklyn. It's less romantic, I've I've been told.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I've heard. Yeah. Um. So I think there needs to be a direct, and nowadays people are smarter anyway. You know, this is my mistakes, I think. Um. Not mistakes, it's still running, um but it just wasn't the reason I left it was you know we had four partners for forty seats, so we each get ten seats to make money off of, essentially, and we don't actually do seven course meals, so it's never gonna happen that you're gonna like retire off of that place so um that I would say is more is probably the most often mistake that I see in Brooklyn at least now calling on restaurants is places that really don't break it down profit wise um because on the outside you know cocktails are extremely profitable you know the the markup is seems like it yeah yeah they i mean the labor involved maybe when you throw that in there mm-hmm. you do have to pay a guy to like juice and you know right. there's a lot of back behind the behind the scenes stuff going on but you know from the cost of what's in the glass for the to cost of goods what they get yeah is yeah is considerable
0: because um, you can't play that game with wine anymore like if you it's marked true. it up to the point that you mark up liquor, I mean people would light you on fire. Yeah, it's true. I mean, because and people are used to buying wine, you know what I mean?
2: And you'd get the press would, you know, they would, be they all would hang over you. you. They'd hang true.
0: you if you even tried to pull those same numbers. Yeah. that are very common for, you know what I mean? It's true. But the the real the real one is sake, though. That's where like <laughs> ludicrous behavior goes on, where you're like, "Are you serious? This <laughs> really? is the degree to which you just totally <laughs> Jack. This I mean, sake it's expensive in general though. I mean every Yeah, but nobody knows what they're buying and nobody yeah. buys it normally. Yes. Like people don't go and be like, Oh, I bought the the Duckhorn Dreams uh yeah. of sake right. thing at yeah. the store so I know how much that is. Do you right. know what I mean? Yes. But they do that
2: all the time for Sauvignon Blanc or whatever. That's a good point. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So And generally, it's usually, from what I've seen at least, sake selections are just one distributor. Usually, yeah. And they, you know. And they
0: sometimes provide you with a menu, it seems like, like old school wine style. Right. And nobody knows how much they're buying. Like, if you're like, yes, I'm going to have a carafe of sake. Well, yeah. okay. Caraf varies from like place to place. And <laughs> right. does anyone really, un, you know, is anyone measuring out the difference between 300 and 500 ml? Like is it, all,
2: a point. The, all the bottles come in different sizes. It's so a, they're different colors. Like it's completely. Yeah. The language isn't legible to, you know, 99% of the people that are looking. The,
0: all on the, all labels, the I mean. labels that are, are in English, like all the translations have right. the same five words. <laughs> yes. Like mountain stream dream. You know what I mean? It's <laughs> <That's> true. <laughs> like, you know? Yeah. you You're like. You're never gonna break it down you know some some sort of bird yeah (laughs) like like dove dreams of mountain or something i don't know man but like clouds i feel like clouds in sky are involved tiger cloud (laughs) (laughs) you know crouching
2: tiger wait um
0: yeah it's but anyway and in the progression cocktails are closer to the sake thing than they are to the wine thing i think
2: i agree yeah i think that's true and we were trying to sort of bridge the gap. And at least that was the idea between those worlds. Um, the sake world? Yeah, exactly. trying to You are trying to
0: bridge the gap between the wine and the spirit world. We were probably
2: a little ambitious. Because I think, we think
0: were... that's hard to do. Very. Because it's like way two different crowds. Like in actuality. Like yeah. these people don't hang very often.
2: Yeah, you I agree. You know what I mean? No. And I was lucky enough to make, you know, some of these mixology guys comfortable that they... Came into Smith & Vine before Jake Walk and came into Jake Walk after to ask me about wine. And, to you know, sort of, I became the guy that makes cocktails that knows about wine to a lot of them. Um, so tying that in was, to me, made perfect sense because every spirit is a similar story. You know, there are laws to regions and areas that um, translate into specific kind of flavors. And, I mean, the fact that they didn't know about wine to me was like, really? it's so it's so exactly the same, you know, Mm -hmm. it's, you know, in the database, you just fill in the same cells, but it's a different, okay, they have to make it this way here they have to make it that way there. Um, And usually there's a sense of place, maybe not as much. uh, Well, it's debatable, I guess, you know, certainly Scotland where it's made matters and how it tastes, Um, whether or not that comes from terroir necessarily is, I guess, debatable, but I certainly agave producers talk about it all the time. Um, it seems like we're moving more
0: in the directions of spirits that come in, a, in terms of the market. People want yeah. this more and more. It seems
2: like I agree. Um, also, it's such a growing market, though. So, dude, I mean, what is going on? You could and, and I thought the laws were fairly stringent. Yeah. but like the way around the law is really easy. It's, oh, is that true? It, well, you just don't have to make anything essentially, except a bottle, and you can pretty much have a spirit. You know? Oh, okay. Um, I think there was an article in Atlantic Monthly. It, was, I, it blew my mind. I didn't know this. Uh, there are some, I think it was talking about vodka producers And for an example. You can buy grain alcohol, run it through a charcoal filter, dilute it with some water, and then put it in a really fancy bottle and be like, look at this artisanal vodka we made. But you, they actually don't even own stills. So they don't even make it, which is, we don't, Winbo wa- doesn't sell a lot of vodka, but we do have a couple. And that's become a new thing for me. It's like, Oh, yeah, and they make this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I've, I've discovered that this is actually something to be proud of, that you can make things as opposed to just putting labels on bottles.
0: But, I mean, does it seem crazy? I mean, Wine Bowl always had a pretty good spirits portfolio for as long as I can remember. But, yes. I mean, now it seems like everybody has a spirits portfolio. Yeah. Like, I feel like dudes that were selling milk, like, a couple of years ago are now like, dude, check out my new <laughs> spirits portfolio. When Zeb you know? starts selling
2: spirits, then you really know that, like...
0: You're thinking it's going to be a long way away. I really don't. I'm oh, yeah. for
2: that phone call like today. Really? You wow. You know what I mean? I guess it's true. I mean, if, you, if you're there already in a certain area and you feel passionate about the wines that they make and they also say, hey, my friend, you know, in cognac
0: makes this. Yeah, but not even their friend. A lot of times they do. A lot of times they're like, that this too. is the mark that I make. This is yeah. a lot of these. Like, not so much in uh, places where it's regulated that you can't have stills where a winery is. Right. But in a place like Croatia and stuff. Yeah. That's a good point. That's what they, they're like, dude, have the stuff, right. the Slovenians and stuff. They don't separate, you know?
2: That's a good point. I think that's, uh, you know, it's kind of a new f- term that's coming on with, now that it's easier to make distilleries in New York, that farm distillery idea. Um, it's really interesting. Uh, like, Wine sells this Brook Lottie, uh, Which has been very good, i found in my, my yeah. time. Yeah, and they really started to bring in that kind of farm distillery idea to um they obviously didn't own all their own farms but they would put the name of the farm on the label where the barley grew um sort of as you know trying to give a nudge at some of the other bigger brands that they have to source barley because you know they make a certain volume of spirits so there's no not scotland's not big enough to provide all the barley probably for even the biggest brands you know one big brand um but they did uh and i think that is that story ties in with wine very well um And I think that's kind of what led me to Winebow was to try to tie in that kind of conversation about where it's made, how it's made, um, rather than this brand, you know, that just exists, you know, whether they make it or they don't, eventually things become a brand and spirits are very profitable that way. So they, you know, some of the biggest companies in the world are spirits companies. So, um, I'm not saying it's necessarily a bad thing, but I—it's not something
0: I'm interested in trying to do. But um, does it seem like a lot of younger people are also less interested in brands?
2: Hmm. But it seems like so much more
0: willing to experiment.
2: Certainly, like the hipster community, that I—you know—we've talked about um, with wine too, and like the natural wine movement. It seems to have a lot of younger people involved in it. Uh, and the same thing with with spirits. Um, however, it like they—it seems that they are more susceptible maybe to sort of brand information. You know what I mean? Brands with a lot of money. Is that true? Are able to help them out a little more, I think, in in getting started and, you know, just developing excitement for the, you know, so people, you, know, you might hear the one guy talking about orange wine and how much he loves it. And then he'll say, but I really love, I think Bacardi makes the best whatever. And mm-hmm. you're like, I don't, maybe that's true, mm-hmm. but I am I doubt that that's You know, I doubt that he's tried all of the rums side by side and come to that conclusion. You know, he probably... And, you know, it's because he's more interested in the cocktail he created. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay.
0: They're more interested in their input and they're looking for a way to fund that.
2: Exactly. So, while they might like orange wine, they also probably are more interested in trying to show you what they can do as well and put their stamp on it. Because I've found
0: when I've hung out in cocktail things, like trainings or seminars or yeah. just how much closer they are to the industry yeah and the brand ambassador and like the logo on the thing and the, yeah then then would be acceptable in the wine community like the wine community still has huh. that like vaguely still has that like robert parker like i'm gonna rate you and my opinion is what yes. matters and i'm separate from the trade kind of meme in it sure you know sure whereas the spirits community is like you're a brand ambassador. that's awesome dude (laughs) yes you know what i mean dude you succeeded (laughs) right you know what i mean whereas in the wine
2: community i feel like people would be like dude you sold out to the man what's up you know what i mean i get a little bit of it like i've definitely felt that now that i've switched over a little bit i've lost some of my like bartender cred i guess in a way um well i didn't mean that you were a brand ambassador. i kind of am i represent a a portfolio 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 of brands
0: um I wasn't actually
2: no, seeing no. you in your entire life. Dude, that was not, it was not what I meant to say. I just meant to th- throw my own two cents in. Um, so, I, I mean to say is it's not always that way. I don't think every brand ambassador gets embraced. But certainly, I would hope, I guess, the ones that do get embraced that way are the guys that developed uh, sort of a, their own niche in the, in the bartending biz anyway mm-hmm. that they already had credit for. Well, usually so that, that's who is taken for the good ones, right? right. Yeah. Because that's who they want, yeah. that guy.
0: Typically, yeah. Because he's got the connections and the cred. So, they're like, dude, help us out. Right. You know I mean? Usually, right. I
2: find. Well, yeah. It's, I mean, I like any like a, uh, uh, any sort of endorsement deal you right. know, with a yeah, it's famous like, person. Yeah, Nike's looking for, for
0: Kobe Bryant or whatever. <laughs> yeah. you know, they're not looking for, like, dude that's playing in the West Village.
2: Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. So... Hopefully, there's a reason. I guess is what I would say for brand ambassador people to have that. But I agree. In the wine business, you don't really hear about brand ambassadors at all. Like Tales of the Cocktail has, I think, a, a award for best brand ambassador. Oh, is that true? Yeah, I think it does. I mean, they have a award for everything. It right, seems right, like right, not. Right, best right. new cocktail bar, best right. new cocktail bar featuring Geneva or whatever. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> like or whatever. You know, it seems like there's a yeah. category for everything. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, I guess it's a good point. I never thought about it that way. It, there is a little bit of separate In wine, it's like, it stops at sommelier, yeah, I would think. Outside,
0: you I, know, mean, not, I mean, people, sommeliers, especially older ones, I think, do mm-hmm. tend to eventually go work for usually a California winery or yeah, something like that. Yeah, that's true. I mean, but it's different when that happens. Right. They, aren't, they aren't looked at the same. It's certainly right. not like praised. You're not
2: like, dude, right. success. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's a good point. You don't see people going like, oh, man
0: wish I'm I could so have done that, sure. yeah, 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 right, right.
2: Yeah. In fact, true. they usually look at it like, "You
0: mean I have to taste the same thing all the time?" <laughs> yes. That's usually how they look at it, right? You know what I mean?
2: Yeah, I agree. And that was kind of my motivation for going to Winebo too, as opposed to looking for one of those brand ambassador gigs. Is there's, you know, a large selection of things to taste and constantly changing and fluctuating, so I don't have to only talk about Brooklady. Even right. though I would love You're to be like, "Hey, old them. Raj as well." Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah for sure.
0: But I mean, so let's chart the progression there. So Jake Walk happens. That's mm-hmm. going okay. But you feel like you're not making. Eventually, you don't see the the big dollar coming in for the retirement funds. Yeah. It's
2: what over. what happens between then and Weinbo? Uh, marriage happens, and she's, she's a lovely person, by the way. Thank you very and, much. Um, She's very skilled. I, I, lear- I learned I really hated the term talented when I was an actor. Everybody right. was always like, right. oh, man, you're so talented. And you're like, oh, so that means I, I didn't do anything. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> Thanks for saying that. But you mean she's good at her photography work. Yeah, yeah. Which is what she does. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, she – so, that obviously was the most important thing going on in my life. Um, and, you know, waking up at 7 after getting home at 4 – to meet the plumber just wasn't conducive to that Um, right right more that I guess because you got married
0: and you're like oh okay we're a family now right and I can't be stumbling home drunk after hanging out with the guys from the mixologists from the neighborhood (laughs) right yeah (laughs) exactly I think think a lot of people either have been there or will be there
2: so it's worth talking about I mean it's a real thing I think it's my reality. I'm not trying to say that anybody else has to go that way. But for me, that was made a lot of sense. Um, Maybe it's my Ohio roots. I always just knew that that's what even when I was trying to be an actor, maybe unrealistically, I was thinking what I'm going to do is settle down, have some kids. You know, that's my ideal life. I want to build it that way. Yeah. Um, So, bartending didn't turn out to actually, I I mean, that version of it, at least running a business and bartending didn't seem like that was going to help me um, get to that point. So. Um, I started talking to the, re- the, uh, reps from distributors that I had, had talked to and just about anybody that I could get a, get me to have a cup of coffee with them. Um, I, so, you know, talked to some of those mixology guys. I talked to, um, my rep from Wineboast at the time, Spencer Harrington, who's like awesome. He's been in the business forever and, uh, was always one of my favorite guys to work with. Um, and, Gathered information. I talked to Alan Katz. I don't know if you know that guy. He started the uh, New York Distilling Company in Williamsburg. He he worked Dorothy Parker. Yeah, yeah. So he worked for Southern, and before he was one of the founders of Slow Food. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Uh, He's like an amazing guy. So he was one of my most my biggest influences. I really said, if I could do it like him, that sounds like a really great thing. And he was like, yeah. To be honest, one of the biggest things that I did was go to Southern and became their mixology and bartending education manager or something crazy mm-hmm. like that.
0: Yeah, Southern was always big on those. Right. Like, they put that education center in Vegas. And yeah,
2: yeah. Um, yeah, him and uh, Toby Abuganum, I think, actually, yeah. where, like, he was East Coast and Toby was West Coast. Um, and so, you know, he talked to me and he was just like, yeah, you know, do whatever. He's like, I've always thought, you know, if you give me enough time, I'll figure out how to do it. And that's kind of how he came up with the distillery idea. It was like, I was lucky enough to know a distillery that would let me tinker, and I did. And uh, I came out with something I'm proud of. So... Um, so I set out to, uh, I, you know, I knew that I couldn't just leap into, you know, brand ambassador or whatever. I wasn't famous enough in that, you know, industry. I, I knew enough people, but
0: what we're talking about, exactly. They weren't looking for dudes who were liked in the community, but not like big profile.
2: Exactly. So I, uh, so it seemed to me like, um, the distributor angle made sense and, uh, I, Asked a few people and they, you know, discussed obviously money and benefits and things that they All that. like or don't like <laughs> about their particular uh, company. And Wimbo seemed to make the most sense. And it also had kind of a, seemed to have a family feel to it, which I really, I'm learning in retrospect, was always sort of an important function of... The jobs i was looking for sure um, i mean union square and smith totally. and vine those are places i probably where... was drinking the kool-aid at union square and that's what i based it on for the rest of my life i would think um so i went from after jake walk you know was while asking people i bartended around town so i was a uh, the first job i took was a at, at Dog. um sort of maybe a year and a half before it closed or so and at the time uh this drinks were great yeah, Katie Stipe, um, who is Phil Ward's uh, partner, um, she did their drinks and I always feel like she doesn't get the credit she deserves because she is so creative and had a really tough test there where their drinks were supposed to be only yenever or Aquavit based. <laughs> yeah, I was super into that. It was I, crazy, Maybe because right?
0: those are things I like, but I, I kept going back there. I was, you yeah. know. I I was uh, I was another one of those places where you're like how do these guys make money though because like the way it was designed totally you're like wow that's a huge amount of space with no
2: tables in it <laughs> right it was beautiful yeah to look it was at, nice yeah. but yeah it was probably flawed from the start I would think um, just as far as you know being able to turn that into the. The machine that was not to mention they didn't at the time Philip Kirshen Clark was not cutting any corners on the food program either Mm, you know he was doing stuff that he learned from Noma right and you know in the East Village right you know you can get hot dogs down the street or you can get a foraged vegetable salad (laughs) yeah right (laughs) right Uh, so Von Dag was awesome and I sort of you know got to tweak my skills you know because at Jake Walk I was pretty much self taught. A lot of times because those guys were sitting across from me at the bar and they'd order like a classic drink. And I would sort of go, yeah, how do you like to make that? Yeah, yeah, that's I great. want to make sure you get it the right. way you like it. Can't do that with wine, unfortunately. No, Can't go sucks. up to guests and be like, how do you make your orange <laughs> right. wine? It's true. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so, Von Daga, you know, I started... Started to figure out more of the modern, I guess, ideals. You know, nobody had done that as far as I know. The Yaneva and Aquavit I thought only. it was great, man. Yeah, it was really amazing. I enjoyed going. Um, and she did a really good job, I think, of sort of taking twists on classics. But then the end product would not resemble anything like, you know, what people would think of. Like she had a, a pina colada kind of thing with Aquavit uh, variation. It was crazy. and It was so good. But you would never look at the ingredients in the menu and be like, oh, that's clearly a pina colada. Um uh so that was that was awesome. And again, more and more people, that location is sort of in the middle of cocktail sure. legend lands, you yeah. know, the PDT's right over there, Maya Well is just across the street, Death and Company is down the street. Um so, you know, just I guess getting to more no know, know more people during that. And eventually, um, because she, you know, is dating Phil and Maya Well is right across the street, I sort of talked to him and it started to seem like Winebo made the most sense. And I was like, you know, I think I'm going on the distributor route because I, I think I'm a pretty nice guy and I I think I, relationships are important and that's something I certainly would like to, to keep fostering and maybe meet more people and that seems like a good way to do it. Not to mention, I'd like to get more connected to the products you serve. You know, unlike restaurants where you might butcher your own pig or if you're a chef and you really kind of know the ins and outs of that thing, a bottle of booze is a bottle of booze. You know, you don't really... you you get to know the story but you know going to see the distillery or talking to a distiller things like that is not something bartenders get to do as often as i i think they should want to but you know also it's just not offered as often as you would think unless they're like really upper echelon and they fly them all over the world um so it seemed like a good way to do that too um and so i asked phil like what do you think about Winebow? And I th- they've always, not always, there was a break at one point, but they've always distributed Delmagee Mezcals, which I think are some of the best spirits. Just, really good. Just yeah. on earth just in spirits, general. yeah. Yeah. And uh, well worth the dollar
0: too, because sometimes, you know, it gets a little it is pricey. It but, is dude, pricey. it's worth
2: it. It takes a long time to get where it goes. Yeah. Where no, it comes worth from. Worth it. Yeah.
0: Like, good. Like yeah. I, that was one of the first ones for me. I was like, okay, terroir is a thing. It exactly. was one of the first to really penetrate, I think, into the wine Sommier
2: world. I agree. I like to, when I try to talk about it, I try to tell people, like, listen, to me, this is the closest distilled thing to wine. You know, there, there's different topography in every village that it comes from uh, and, you know, a different palenquero, which is, you know, sort of like the winemaker and that have, you know, their own sort of little touches that they lend to it. And there's a bunch of different uh, varieties of agave, too. So, you know, much like grape varieties. Uh, so, anyway, I asked him, and he was like, Ron Cooper, who started Del Gay, He's yeah. like, Ron Cooper said, Winebow's family, man. And he was like, that's as much praise as I could give to anything. Yeah, that's a good point. For a distributor, especially. Yeah, like, yeah. it's hard, I would say, to maintain a family atmosphere in a, you know, from the distribution angle. Um, and certainly, you know, they're not perfect at it either. You can't be because you have you know, in the end money will be the number one driving Mm -hmm. force. But uh, as far as that goes, you know, it worked out that way. So, you know, obviously I wasn't just like storming through the door and like, Hey, Weinbo, I want to work for you. You're (laughs) lucky, you know, Um, made some calls and it turns out Karen King was a manager there. Yeah, (laughs) I was like, Hey, remember me? And yeah. She was like, yeah. wow, you've grown up since I last <laughs> saw you last. And I was like, yeah, I, I gave up the acting thing finally and uh, and she was like, okay, well, this is how it goes. We, you and I talk and then we talk to human resources and they had a, a thing open in Brooklyn for a rep um which wasn't, you know, my first choice, but right. it also I lived in Brooklyn, I knew a lot of people in Brooklyn. Um and uh Worked out. I guess they liked what I did there well enough. Eight months later, they wanted to create a new role for a spirits person um, because it seems to be growing faster than anything on Earth. So maybe we could talk
0: a little bit about that. I mean, what's it like to be in the driver's seat of a a, a, a well-picked, you know, high-quality, a lot of well-regarded selections in the middle of what seems to be just one of the gigantic tectonic shifts I've ever seen in beverages. Like, wow. I don't know what's going on, but yeah. it
2: is taking off through the roof. That's saying something coming from you, I would say. Because, I mean, when I listen to you talk about, you know, other, like, you've seen it well, come and go. This
0: is, I mean, I've never seen yeah. all of a sudden so many people be like, dude, look at my new spirits portfolio. <laughs> right. I mean, somebody yeah. must have realized that there's money to be made I think that's true. things yeah. that are not uh, brands. And I think that some of the margins in wine have... Yeah. Become less and less enchanting, you right. know? Well, now that you have to sell XYZ for such price, and really limits the market. And at the same time, I think that the suppliers and the bartenders are looking at the same thing like, oh, how could I make money? I could make money by not having a kitchen, by opening a bar, by having $50,000 in inventory instead of $5 million in inventory. Yeah.
2: You know what I mean? And uh, that's a great point. You know, it, there's you know, 20, how many ounces? 25, 26 ounces in a bottle. And that means, you know, 12 to 13 drinks coming out of that thing, as opposed to that one bottle of wine that you only get four drinks and doesn't last the next day, oftentimes. Um, And one requires expensive storage and one doesn't. Exactly. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, So, I guess in that, it shouldn't be a surprise, I guess. (laughs) You know, eventually people figure that out.
0: But it was so long in coming. Because I I remember trying to sell stuff to neighbor and stuff and having people freak out. Especially as I took the more name stuff off to try to push them in that direction right because people felt like you how how could you not
2: have x yes like i you had really failed as a restaurant and it was name it wasn't it was all name it wasn't i mean type if you, of product if you, It wasn't like how oh can no, you not oh, have no. vodka which is no, exists no, no, no. now
0: too but we, it was definitely right, brand, right and but if you tried that brand next to the six other things right it, it was obvious why you wouldn't have it cause exactly it was not very good but there was such yeah. loyalty. But I always found that to be older clientele. Right. And I th- think that with younger people coming in, they don't have that same. Yeah. They're like, oh, tell me about it. Like, yeah, yeah. Or something. I don't know. I really don't. I'm kind of asking you. Right. Like, I don't know yeah, why yeah. I'm talking so much.
2: but Because <laughs> um, I'm interested in uh, your take on it. But, uh, yeah, I think also that divide, too, the young-old divide is kind of maybe overplayed a little bit. I guess we're talking in stereotypes. So sure, yes, the average person is younger, but you really see a lot of people that came into it later as sort of hobbyists or whatever. And not to mention some of the cocktails are not cheap. So it's usually not the young people that are like, "Oh, I'd love to go out and spend $40 on three drinks or two drinks, you know, at some place." Yeah, um,
0: but this is like 95 when people said wine was too expensive. Yes, I agree. Because people are like, "Oh, the cocktails are not cheap." That the people are saying that are real cocktail people like it's saying. not the actual consumer because the consumer keeps pushing the prices higher and higher right. this, this is what happened in the late 90s people right. were like oh wine's gotten so expensive like the wine people would yes. say that yeah but the market kept pushing it higher and higher yeah and when you look at what we were selling like chateau Reyes for right. in 99 insane it's like peanuts yeah but at that time people were that like this expensive. is so expensive for this right
2: to the wine crowd yeah you know what i mean right um i think the yeah, the, the thing about the cocktail—I I, should—I should stop saying cocktail scene, spirit scene in general. Like, I—I I, I guess the original question was, I guess, about me and like how it yeah. is at Winebow. Um, for me, it's so freeing. I guess more than any other. I've been lucky to work in a lot of places where people trust you very well, and I've learned that kind of now coming from the other side that not everybody has a place like that. Um, but spirits in general, it's pretty much like people will see me to taste anything, you know what I mean? They're, which didn't always used to be the case you, for spirits. You used to have to say, I guess you still get occasional places. that are like only whiskey because that seems to be the hot thing. But now it's like, you can tell them about Tobala, which is like obscure Del Migue, you know, Mezcal. And they'll be like, Oh yeah. Yeah. I heard about that. I mean, it, it's everywhere. So for me, it's, it's very freeing. Um, it's, obviously a better schedule for home, which, you know, goes without saying, but, uh, and it's more, I guess I have more creative leeway. So I can sort of, uh, if I'm going out on a certain day, you know, it's not just tequila or just, you know, mescal or scotch or whatever, you know, you can throw these things from a full spectrum in the bag and, uh, and pretty much see anyone you know, on that given day, which I think is really interesting. Um, makes it hard to figure out what to wear, though. You can't necessarily <laughs> go to the steakhouse in your jeans and T-shirt, but then also can't go to Bushwick in a suit and try to be like, hey, you know, check this stuff out.
0: So I know a rep who mostly does three-star up, up, uptown places. And yeah. He, he The the buyer at a, at a downscale, like, you know, very popular Soho place. Yeah, like yeah. Like called the distributor and was like, I need a new rep. And they're like, whoa. Okay, how can you... This is our best guy. How can you yeah. not want this guy? And he's like, I can't. I can't have this guy coming in, in a suit all the time. This is ridiculous. Wow. This is not my scene, you know. Yeah, yeah. And they're like you're going to fire the guy because of the suit. Right. And, and he's like, well, come on, man. It doesn't this isn't I don't think this guy, you know. So that that guy right. carries a change of clothes with him
2: now. No but, way. Yeah, to to go to different accounts. Oh, I hope I don't have to do that someday. I mean, because I sweat a lot, maybe I have to carry an extra shirt here and there, but that's uh yeah, I mean it's it's real, and I think I heard you on a, another podcast talking to uh, somebody about the sort of division in wine schools. Um, luckily for spirits, that doesn't seem to be the case right now. Sure, you know it's it, it seems to be consistent um, throughout that people are interested in the same things, and I guess it also helps that Brooklyn is kind of this burgeoning scene. So. More people in Manhattan are starting to listen to that right? as well. Everyone's I, listening to the
0: same tune and being like, I like that tune.
2: Yeah, totally. It's, um, it's and, not
0: like people are looking at what's going on in Brooklyn and be like, that sucks. Yeah. You know what I mean? In the cocktail thing.
2: Right. And I'm not trying to say that Brooklyn is you know, the the mecca or anything like right. that. I'm just saying the sensibility of a lot of the stuff that I like to sell that we carry um, plays so easily in Brooklyn. And now I'm beginning to see that you know it's moving uptown. People are like oh, yeah, you know, that distillery is, you know, tiny and I really want that. You know, yeah. they're more interested in that tiny distillery than they ever were before. Um, almost the antithesis to the brand thing. So, how do you grow that as a portfolio? Um, man, I'm still learning. You know, I've, I'm three months in, I guess, as their uh, their guy for Greater New York. Um, relationships make sense um, for sure. So, just getting my foot in the door to start is a good thing. and. I don't deal with brands that throw big shows or conventions. So for me, it's all about meeting somebody, you know, like you or other people, um, and getting them to hear about the story, getting them interested in stories more than they are interested in, um, in the, what they can do for them kind of thing. Um, so I, you know, if they'll have me, I'll, I'll tell them a story and if they like the story, they'll taste it. And if they like the way it tastes, then it works out. So I guess, um, The broader answer to that question is like one bottle at a time, you know, one buyer, one bottle at a time. Um, Wine Bowl, I guess, is different in that it doesn't have really a separate division from spirits and wine. So, uh, the reps do do the same thing. Um, So, the other side of it is from the in-house, I try to educate the reps as much as I can. Um, Maybe not only through the education department, which we have, but uh, also through just sitting in the spirits room. We have this small room that me and one other uh, New York manager. I've been in there. Have you? Yeah. 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 I like to call it the booze. Yeah. 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 Just all these little bottles around. No windows. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Just just bottles everywhere you could see. And uh, if people will come see us there, you know, we'll, we'll sell stuff there, but usually people don't want to. Um, so when reps pop in, you know, as they're walking down the hallway, Hey, what's going on today, guys, tell them a few things about one thing or, you know, what's new, you know, definitely mention that. Um, And that seems to be right now, good enough. Obviously, you know, we're always thinking of ways to, to broaden that, you know, spectrum, but for us, uh, it seems to be working pretty well. So we're, we're sticking to, you know, old school, I guess, you know, you're trying to do it because you like, you're trying to sell something you like to someone you like rather than let the world find out about this thing and they come to you. You know, we, I'm still happy to go to them. You know, Matt Durant,
0: he's selling one bottle at a time. <laughs> Spirits director over at Winebow. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you. All drink to that is hosted and produced by myself, Levy Dalton. Aaron Scala has contributed original pieces. Editorial assistance has been provided by Bill Kimsey. The show music was performed and composed by Rob Moose and Thomas Bartlett